Hello, this is Cass from Community Cauldron and it has been a minute since I've been called to sit down and record a podcast episode and the portal that has invited this episode is that of the new moon, the new moon in the sign of Aquarius and New moons are part of a beautiful dance that the moon is doing every month. And this is a time where the sun and the moon are together in the sky. The sun is in the sign of Aquarius, the moon is in the sign of Aquarius, and they are both sitting at the exact same degree point at the time of the new moon. So This is a very powerful, powerful portal because if we think about the sun and the moon as these two key figures in the lives of us humans here on earth, these are the planetary slash star slash celestial energies that we call the luminaries. And this is because they are the two lights that we follow and we can see consistently here from earth. So when we're in the portal of the new moon, this is the time where there is maximum closeness between these two. They are close enough to hold each other's hands. They are close enough to whisper in each other's ears. They are conjunct in the chart. That means they are together. Now, when we're in a full moon, the opposite is true. This is instead a time that comes two weeks later and this is a time on that cycle where these luminaries, these lights are at maximum distance from each other. And so when things are at maximum distance on a circle like the wheel of the year, like the wheel of the zodiacal chart, we can call that an opposition. And this is the point of maximum distance and maximum tension. This is a really dynamic energy in which we are having this opposing forces that we're being asked to actually come into resolution with. And so these are just two points, two phases of the moon cycle, but they're two important and really visible ones, right? When the moon is full, once upon a time, it actually illuminated the night enough for us to gather, for us to collect ourselves and each other and light a fire and dance and sing and feast and celebrate and release under that new moon energy, sorry, under that full moon energy. And that can only really come when what we have planted under the light of the new moon or rather under the very minimal light of the new moon of that patch of sky that the days before the new moon, where the dark moon is, is, is what we're calling it, there's actually nothing that you can see of the light of the moon. There is no light available to us. And in that inky, dark, seemingly empty, but we know that it's not, patch of sky, that is the soil that we are invited to plant the seed that is present in that crack of light that comes through on the new moon. And so this new moon in the sign of Aquarius is a really big, juicy one. And this is partly because we are fucking with so much Aquarian and Uranian energy in 2021. 
I know 2020 was a brutal masterclass in all of the ways that Saturnian and Capricornian energy can bring us into this feeling of pressure and isolation and restriction and boundary and structural limitation. All of these sorts of energies were massively present throughout 2020 as the degree point of 22 and a half degrees of Capricorn was visited upon by massive outer planet energies, including Pluto, who is still in the sign of Capricorn, and as well as Saturn and Jupiter, Pallas Athena, and many other friends who all moved through that patch of the sky, that patch of our chart that held the sign of Capricorn, and particularly 22 and a half degrees Capricorn. Now, that degree is actually something called the world point. And so when things happen on that degree, you can imagine that it is actually not just going to affect an individual or a country, but actually it will possibly affect the entire world. And that is what we saw with what happened with the coronavirus in 2020. That was the year of the rat in terms of the uh, Lunar New Year and, and the Chinese Zodiac. And, you know, that brought us a plague. So we, uh, we're moving out of that now because with this Lunar New Year, uh, sorry, with this new moon in Aquarius, we're also starting the Lunar New Year process for so many of the folks around the world, but particularly in Asia that are following this particular calendar and this particular wheel of the zodiac. And this is the beautiful thing about time, right, is that it is able to be interpreted and danced with and moved with in very, very different ways. But there's always things that are synchronous and similar. So as we're moving into the Lunar New Year, the year of the metal ox, this is coinciding with this really beautiful transit of two months that is happening of Mars in the sign of Taurus. And Taurus is connected to the energy of the bull, of the ox, of that slow and steady mover that tries to bring practical and pleasurable energies into the work that we do here in the world. And so with this big portal, we can see that we're actually shifting now into more and more of this Aquarian and Uranian energy that is a signature of 2021. And another rhyme here is actually with the energy of the, the Hierophant, which is the tarot card that is connected numerologically to 2021. And this is a card that is actually card number five. And it is ruled by Taurus, which is that sign of the bull. So all this year, numerologically, we are going to be working with this tarot card energy of the Hierophant, the sacred shower, the sacred uncoverer, who is able to bring messages from the divine within us 
through connection to our own personal sense of the sacred and through our ability to communicate, to literally pick up the phone to God, however we understand what that is, to pick up the phone to the God within us, the wise part of us that knows that we are eternal and isn't in a fucking hurry because there is always time for sacredness. And sacredness doesn't mean popping off for an hour-long meditation. Sacredness is about movement. Sacredness is about sound. Sacredness is about breath. Sacredness is about truth, about love, about so many things that are around us and available to us with our attention and our intention at any time. And that don't require us to leave our physical bodies or our everyday life in order to be more spiritual or more connected to that higher energy that permeates every single thing here on earth and in that fucking cosmos. That cosmos that is a reflection of our psyche, of our soul. And so I love that we have this beautiful energy of Taurus coming through with this lunar new year with the metal ox and also with this Mars in Taurus um, energy that is happening at the moment. Um, but coming back around to the energy of the shift between 2020, which was actually a, a four year when you add up the digits. So that was an emperor year, which in my practice I work with as the empowerer. And that's an energy that is connected to the sign of Aries. But in, in this energy, I, I actually want to um, speak a little to the way that we're shifting out of that emperor empower energy and also the energy of Saturn and Capricorn that was so prevalent last year um, and and what what it is to shift into a different expression of Saturnian energy which is the Aquarian so we actually have um, something quite interesting and beautiful that's happening which is this Passover between the Saturnian energy and the Uranian energy, between the Capricornian energy and the Aquarian energy. And these are next to each other in the wheel of the Zodiac, in the wheel of the year as I work with it. Uh, Capricorn is traditionally connected to Saturn and the 10th house. And Aquarius is the 11th house. And actually it was prior to the viewing of Uranus in a telescope that happened between the American and the French revolutions that there was actually the co-ruler of of Aquarius and Capricorn was actually Saturn. So even though we're moving from a Capricornian to an Aquarian focus this year um, and more broadly as we go on through the next several hundred years we're moving even more into Aquarian energy this is energy that has a traditional connection to and rulership of Saturn. But in that revolutionary period, we saw that there was this quote unquote discovery of this new planet. And often when new planets and other celestial bodies emerge as part of the story, it signals that there is something about the consciousness uh, of, of the collective that's ready to be 
considered and given more expression. So when this revolutionary energy of the French and the American revolutions was were going on, this was a time where we really were having a struggle of the individual to be able to actually live a life that was valuable and um, affirming and uh, personal in these ways when there was this rule of the collective, when there was this empire that was often connected to the divine right of kings. And this, this was a time where we had this intention being spouted of, for example, in the French Revolution, we wanted equality, fraternity, and liberty, right? And these were the catch cries. And yet, in the process of seeking out all of that, something peculiar happens wherein we might become the very thing that we were fighting against. So there was a fucking bloodbath in the French Revolution in the name of the poor and the peasants. But actually what can end up happening is with all of that Uranian energy, there can be this charge right and this charge is connected to the electrical impulses of both Aquarius and Uranus so when we're coming back to this idea of the traditional um, ruler of Aquarius being Saturn as well as Capricorn um, we can start to sort of feel the shift between the earthiness of Saturn and this and Capricorn and this more kind of electrical air of Aquarius and Uranus. So unlike the other air signs, you can really connect the energy of Aquarius and Uranus more than any other to this electrical impulse. And so what we can understand about this connection between Saturn and Uranus and and Capricorn and Aquarius is that this is one of the final parts of the developmental cycle of the wheel of the year. So we go with Aries in the first house, Taurus in the second house, Gemini in the third house, on and on and on with that natural chart wheel. And when we get around to Capricorn, we're in the 10th house. And essentially, that's the sort of energy that says, yeah, how have you actually been able to show up in the world? And at what point do you actually take that personal ambition for your own life and the achievements that you want and the structures that you're trying to build and the recognition that you're trying to get? And, and how can we take all the benefits of everything um, that we have managed to achieve in this world in that 10th house way and then really look and say, wow, this is meaningless. Like my job title, my salary, my acclaim, my awards, whatever it is, right? The reputation, your influence, all of it is nothing. All of it is meaningless, Unless we can actually find an 11th house attitude that really brings us into a position of being able to share from that brilliance, share from that exquisite labor and work that has been done in the world to 
both inner and outer world, right? To actually bring all of the fruits of that to bear on not just your personal ambition, but on the collective and community ambition to actually bring something to bear from the work and the labor and the energy that you have spent your life cultivating and to direct that to something that is for common good and that is to serve and to honor the communities that uplift you and that have contributed to you being able to achieve all of that success and to say this means fucking nothing unless I am prepared to give it all away in the 11th house and unless I am prepared to actually reorient my energies not just to what is going to be my personal track but actually on what kind of track do I actually want to be helping the collective to be on to make sure that those that are on the earlier stages of that journey of life can actually be honored supported and uplifted by the energies that have come before them right so that whoever is journeying next time will not have to take the same steps and maybe face some of the same challenges so Aquarian energy really brings us into this higher most beautiful octave of ourselves which doesn't just rely on what it is about me 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 and how I want to shine which is very much the beautiful energy of Leo which can be that opposite energy to Aquarius the fifth house energy instead of the 11th house energy on the wheel of the year Um, but it's not that about me taking the spotlight in the center any longer but instead it's about what am I giving back to the group what is my role as part of the audience of this unfolding world, this unfolding life, this unfolding common story that we are writing together. And so Aquarian energy and Saturnian um, Capricornian energy is this preparatory work that we do uh, in the later stages of the chart This is the 10th and 11th house work that we do that actually prepares us for the literal and figurative and psychic and spiritual death that occurs in the 12th house. The release, the dissolving, the merging, the beautiful 12th house Piscean and Neptunian illumination of our highest spiritual expression that is interconnected, that is timeless, that is recurrent, that is what connects us in that ocean of emotion to the resonance of every single feeling ever held by every single soul that was ever in a body here on earth and that's pretty wild right so we get to get into some of the bliss and the transcendence and some of that caretaking of the human uh, emotional body through merging through infinite awareness of love of interconnectedness um, that all comes through that Piscean and Neptunian 12th house energy but we can't fully let go and surrender into that energy until we have really worked through the 10th and the 11th house energies of Aquarius and Capricorn and their attendant beautiful um, planetary energies of Saturn and Uranus. So Saturn is the last planet that we can see with the naked eye from here on earth. Okay, so in that way, we're already getting a sort of insight into some of the ways that that energy is showing up so we have this physical body 
Saturn is about form, right? And so we have this physical form and we use these physical um, embodied senses to be able to look beyond ourselves and out to the very furthest horizon of the sky. And the final thing that we can actually see with the naked eye in terms of the planetary energies is Saturn. And so already we're being shown the limits and the boundaries of our human awareness. And Saturn is really the edge of what were the known planets before the outer planets began to be observed, uh, like Uranus in the 17th, 18th century, and um, like Pluto that came through in the 1930s. Um, and, and, and we're able to really recognize that there's something about this energy that wants to communicate with us. And so before Saturn was the final planet that we could see with the naked eye, um, well, it still is that, but we, we thought potentially that this was the final planet and many indigenous cultures definitely were postulating about the existence and worked with the existence of planets that they couldn't necessarily view with any kind of, um, equipment that they had at the time. Um, but that idea that what we can actually see and view and comprehend with our physical senses is actually not the limit of what is actually out there in that expanse of the universe. And although we might have come with this sense of, yep, that's the end of the line, it doesn't mean that that's actually the case. And so in this way, we can recognize that one of the lessons of Saturn and Capricorn is to really know that while our physical body is so beautiful and the boundaries and limitations that it has are so worthy of being honored, that one of the ways we honor them is by recognizing that just because we can't sense something with our physical senses at a particular time, it doesn't mean that what lies beyond our sensory experience um, physically does not exist. And that in fact, just because we're looking out to the expanse and saying that's the end, that's the limit, doesn't actually mean that there aren't things that we can reckon with beyond our physical sensory experiences, that we can't find other technologies of consciousness, including telescopes, right? That are actually a way that we broadened our consciousness by building different and new tools and technologies through which to expand and enhance our existing sensory availability. So this is something that feels important to talk about as we're shifting from this hyper-Saturnian energy into some of the Uranian energy, because Uranus energy, as I've already said, is so electrical and so powerful. Like I said, that when it was um, identified in the sky, you had this sudden shift wherein, well, before that we had this um, orthodoxy, we had this tradition and that very much connects to Saturn and Capricorn um we have this sort of the way things are the status quo the way they have been and with this uh viewing of Uranus in this telescope all of a sudden which is such a Uranus um phrase all of a sudden everything changed right that lightning bolt energy that can come down and actually ignite something that can charge something that can maybe start that sacred flame lighting up 
whatever it is that needs to be lit up in order for us to expand our consciousness. Now, we can just use our um, common sense and awareness to sort of say like, yeah, electrical energy is amazing. Um, You know, we are electrical beings. Electrical energy keeps us alive. It keeps our heart pumping. Um, Our connection to the electromagnetic field of the sun and all of the other energies out there is so much a part of the the connection that we actually are are always in with nature. Um, Electricity changed the world, right? When we were able to harness electricity and actually use that charge to power things, we were able to ignite this industrial age and now this technological age that has brought the ability, for example, to continue to communicate beyond this physical isolation and separation that many of us were experiencing all over the world because of the pandemic and and the impacts that has on everybody and their ability to move freely without restriction. Um, and so how do we actually keep that freedom and connection during this Saturnian time of needing to be kind of more more isolated and restricted than probably ever in our lives um, that we, we actually can use that electricity and that technology to continue to have some freedom of communication. Um, and, and that's something that didn't exist, for example, when we had the last big pandemic in 1918 with the Spanish flu. So we can really look at this change and this technology and this brilliance, right, that is allowing us to maintain this connection. Um, but also it's a very different kind of connection too. Um, and, and when we look around again at this, this electrical energy in our lives, we can really bring some awareness to the fact that we can't just hold electricity, right? If we go out there with our kite and our string and our key, we might be able to get it to 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 come and, and find us this this lightning. But in a general sense, we really need to set up circuits for energy uh, that is electrical, and we also need to be very, very, very cognizant of whether or not this energy is grounded. Okay, and that is pretty much the 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 connection between Saturn and Uranus and the crisis of form that Saturn has, has the capacity to be disrupted by the electrical charge, um, the lightning bolt genius energy of Uranus, but that without the appropriate grounding in that container of form here on Earth, whether it's our body or the electrical circuit in our wall, like the socket. You know, you've got to have that pin, that plug grounding. If we don't have that, then the the energy is so much more volatile and so much more dangerous. And so this is something that is incredibly important as we're looking at this transition between this Aquarian, um, this Capricornian to this Aquarian energy. And as we begin to have um, this handoff between Saturn and Uranus over the next um, couple of months, couple of years, couple of hundred years, right? This is a bigger transit that is occurring, um, but certainly it is playing out in this shift between 2020 and 2021 on this microcosmic level. As I record this on the Aquarius new moon, we have 
I think six planets hanging out in the sign of Aquarius. So we've got Saturn in Aquarius, Jupiter, Venus, Mercury, the sun, and the moon. And not only that, but pretty much all of the other planets are also answering to Saturn. So all of these planets in the sign of Aquarius, they answer to Uranus and also they answer to Saturn because of that co-rulership that I described earlier. So then we have Pluto in the sign of Capricorn still, but that rules is ruled by Saturn. We also have um, Uranus in the sign of Taurus and Mars in the sign of Taurus, but because Saturn is in the sign of Aquarius and for Mars, because Venus is in the sign of Aquarius, both of those energies are also connecting us back to Saturn. And that's a lot and a lot and a lot of Saturnian and um, Uranian energy. And the only planet really that isn't answering back to Saturn or Uranus in that way is Neptune. And Neptune is in its home sign of Pisces. It's going to be there for a while still to come. But that's the only water in this chart for the new moon. So being able to really honor and connect to that beautiful Neptunian energy is a great outlet right now. Listening to music, taking a bath, um, escaping in non uh fucked ways, right? In ways that don't destroy us. So Neptunian energy can connect us to the need to have escapism in the form of intoxication or delusion or buying into things that are not real. Um, So we can find productive outlets for that energy, like buying into something that's not real, like a movie that you want to get swept away into or um, a beautiful album that just transports you at a soul level or having a swim in the ocean or in your bath or whatever is available to you as an outlet for this, taking photographs, making a little film, whatever there is, or just, yeah, being in a receptive um, oceanic state in any way that that feels available is going to be a great antidote to all of this energy because everything that I just described that's in the sign of Aquarius is all in that air sign. And it means with all that concentration in air that our minds and our words and our storytelling functions are going to be extra, 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 extra on charge right now. Um, And in particular, I want to bring attention to your nervous system. So Aquarian energy, Uranian energy and the 11th house are all connected to your nervous system. And we definitely have a personal nervous system, but we also have collective nervous systems, right? Of various stripes. We have them at various levels of our community, of our neighborhood, of our geographical area, of our cultural group, of All of these different sorts of um, energies that we can be holding in our body, in our nervous system, and that we can be carrying as a survival imprint from the past. And so when we're aware of this, there can be a beautiful um, invitation to not personalize some of this energy if and when it comes up for you. Because while the energy of the Aquarian energy and Uranian sort of signature is so 
incredible, right? It's got that charge. It's got that genius. It's got that revolutionary potential within it. Like I said, it's volatile. We can't just shoot some electricity all over the place um, because we'll probably get fried. And so that form, that crisis of form that Saturn can represent is often about really tending to the Saturnian containers, the Saturnian structures here in the physical world that will support us to be able to better hold and to better ground the kinds of energy that are available to us in the electrical impulse of Aquarius and Uranus. But again, we want to be able to hold all of that charge without frying the fucking motherboard. And frying the fucking motherboard is essentially when our nervous system is so activated that we go into nervous system collapse. And this can look a lot of different ways and it's up to you to really um, be aware of this in your life. But that humming, thrumming, um, mental energy uh, that then is also so like on guard in the whole body, that vigilance, all of these sorts of things that we can experience where we feel anxious, we feel panicky, um, we feel fried, we feel exhausted, we feel like completely blown out of our socket, right? This is all very um, expected energy. So if there is a way for you to be able to orient and if it's helpful for you to orient around the idea of it being not personal at the same time as it is highly personal, this is the kind of paradox that a magical way of thinking really invites us to be able to better hold, right? We're bridging polarities at all times. Um, Like I mentioned about the new moon as a time where the sun and the moon are sitting next to each other in the sky, only to two weeks later be exactly opposite each other, bridging those polarities, being able to work out that maximum tension point that is represented by the six polarities of the of the zodiac which is really how we can better connect to and understand the 12 signs and the 12 houses as these six polarities of experience and that each polarity invites us to actually learn and grow by resolving the apparent opposition and be able to find the thread of connection that unites these two seemingly opposite and polar points of view on the wheel of the year, which is a microcosm for the wheel of our life and the wheel of experience that we are always turning in, right? And so I'm giving like all these different threads that we can pull on um, as I'm talking about this because it feels really relevant to just try to um, give a little bit of energy around this that we might be able to work with. So if you do have a breath practice that you can bring on board at this time that will be helpful um, and also your writing and your speaking to really come to an awareness of whether or not you are resourcefully using those parts of yourself is that storyteller anxious brain um, in your head being resourceful right now or is there a way that you can maybe bring a little bit more resource to that what would that look like would it look like actually interrupting that um rumination pattern by writing something out a simple sentence that says you know um whatever it is that is 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 on that cycle on that loop in your head can you transmute it by bringing it into a different form these are all air kinds of 
themes that we can work with. Um, in the tarot, this is connected to the energy of the swords. And the swords are definitely uh, an energy that we can connect to our words, right? It's right there in the word. Sword is word. And so in this way, we can really come to an awareness of the words, the language, the stories, um, the ways in which we are using our voice internally or externally to share the messages with ourselves and with the world about what it is that 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 we are here for and what we are honoring and what we are inviting in and what we are actually saying sorry but no because the sword as a symbol is about discernment right it is about certainly the ways that our brain and our minds um, can get so on that frequency that can be so challenging but it's also about the way that we actually don't have to use that sword that word that brain um, that nervous system as a weapon against ourselves. we don't have to keep falling on that sword for ourselves but instead that with practice we might actually begin to wield the sword in quite skillful ways right that we might wield our own mind our own brain our own survival instincts our own stories in ways that are going to be more resourceful for the kind of life we actually want to live the kind of life that we don't have to recover from the kind of life that makes us feel more alive and not less alive and so you know a, a sword is one thing that if we're not skilled with it just yet we can probably hurt ourselves or other people so as we begin to come into that practice with that sword and come into that more skillful um, relationship with the sword that we always hold whether it's with our pen or with our mind that we can actually use that sword as a sort of discernment. We can use it to cut away fucking bullshit and we can use it to pierce through with truth, right? That that sword can actually be a sort of truth that connects us to our most incredible self and, and what it is that we are actually here to share with the world, right? Um, and then we can do that in a way that is practical and pleasurable in that beautiful Taurian sense that I've already mentioned with this metal ox year that is beginning um, with the Mars in Taurus transit that is ongoing and also with this being a Hierophant year. Now the Hierophant in my practice, I really work with that energy um, as bridging the heart and the head what is between those two places is the mouth, right? And and Taurus energy connects us to the, the mouth and the throat and the jaw. And so this is where we actually take things in and it's also where we get things out. So we use our sacred voice, our messages, our um, connection to what is sacred within us and here on this earth to be able to share the messages that only we are able to share, to use that sword as this, um, yeah, this sacred channel that only we can tune to and that we can use the words and the stories and the messages um, that want to come through on that frequency, that mental frequency, that physical frequency, that spiritual frequency that only we can actually embody um, and that we can honor our sensory experience of being here on earth while also recognizing that we can be a bridge to what lies beyond that 
Saturnian edge that we currently have, whatever that is, right? That we can recognize that that role um, we are being invited to work with here on earth at the moment is to be able to come into that more um, in flight version of our lives. We've been pretty grounded with all of that Saturnian energy through 2020 and with literally six and many of the most powerful planets hanging out in the sign of Aquarius, we are really being given very clear guidance that we are able to actually lift off, that we can take flight, um, that, you know, in that process that we went through last year of going into our cocoons as as caterpillars and actually being um, contained in that Saturnian form of that cocoon, of that womb, of that egg, of that home that we might have been living in, whatever whatever it was, that that crisis of form that occurred in all that Saturnian and Capricornian energy is now actually has gone through some of that intense alchemical process. Like Pluto is still in the sign of Capricorn. So this is ongoing, but that metamorphosis that we are actually on the other side of the cocoon now, that we are actually releasing that cocoon and that maybe we're not in full flight as a butterfly yet because we have to probably let our wings dry and maybe have a few test flights first, but that we are definitely no longer in a form, in a way of being individually or as a collective um, that is going to involve us only hanging out on the leaf or on the tree or on the branch, you know, or on the earth, that instead we are actually sooner or later going to be coming into a greater awareness of our flight, of our reach, of all the places that we can get to, um, and that there might be really sudden and unexpected ways, like that lightning bolt that comes out of nowhere oftentimes, um, and makes something alive that wasn't alive before, on fire that wasn't on fire before, charged up that wasn't charged before, but that the way we can really do this is by tending to the physical body in the here and now. And so I want to I want to kind of um, finish up by talking about Chiron because Chiron is an energy that I work with primarily, I would say. And Chiron is uh, an asteroid from the Kuiper Belt, which is actually like beyond our orbit here. Um, but it's it's hanging out in... Um, in our solar system now, but it has this beautiful erratic orbit, okay? And it it actually, in this funny little orbit, manages to link together the orbits of Saturn and Uranus. And so in this way, it is able to be considered a bridge, uh, uh, a bridge between the inner and the outer planets and a bridge between our sort of um, local and our cosmic kind of connection that we are actually invited to bridge the the parts of ourself that are identified in that way of, um, as I described, like the 10th house, like what are we here to achieve personally? What are our dreams and ambitions and all of that? And actually, as we shift into the 11th house to bring our vision to a more collective, transpersonal um, perspective. And Chiron is uh, a healing asteroid, right? 
it is represented by the key and it's a healing key. And again, that links together Saturn and Uranus's orbits. And so it can really be seen and used and worked with as a really sacred key that we can work with in our embodied life in the everyday and in the here and now, because this is really um, connected to the energy of the sixth house and also the energy of Virgo. And many people wouldn't work with this, but I do work with um, Chiron as a co-ruler of the sign of Virgo along with Mercury. Um, And this is something I'll talk about probably in another uh, podcast a little bit more, but Chiron is the essence of paradox and synthesis. So when we look to the the energy of the symbol that Chiron is connected to of the key, but also the other symbol it's connected to is of the centaur, right? So in mythology, Chiron was this healer who was half man and half horse. And in that way, it's like a, a, a symbol of that kind of synthesis that is possible through apparent paradox and through apparent polarity and opposition. So, you know, you might look and say, well, you know, you are man and, and you are beast and, and that's not really possible. And and yet for this figure, this was possible. And Chiron was the one who was able to heal everybody else, but could not actually ultimately heal his own wounding. Um, but eventually was able to actually give a sacrifice of life, um, of, of immortality in order to be able to exchange, um, for, for Prometheus to then give fire back to the people. Right. Um, and so this is a really powerful figure and one that I work with so much, but when I work with this in the birth chart, it really isn't about some centaur that's out there. It's about the parts of ourself that are seemingly paradoxical, um, and that exist in the here and now and in the past and in the future all at once somehow. Right. Uh, and that is able to, in this physical form, come into that kind of 12th house Piscean Neptunian experience of transcendence, not by leaving the physical realms or the physical body or the daily life, but by integrating and working with and coming into greater devotion to those parts of experience. So that 12th house energy that is being um, worked up to by the 11th and the 10th house by Aquarian and Capricornian energies, it's actually opposite the sixth house, which is the house that is ruled by Virgo and Chiron in my practice. And so when we can actually see that if we're trying to get to this Neptunian illuminance and transcendence and spiritual kind of um, merging and union with all the divine love and consciousness that ever is or was that we are, then the access point of that is definitely through that 11th house um, Aquarian energy, but it's also about that 
opposite energy of the sixth house and of Virgo. And this is the case for all of the signs and all of the houses in this way that I work with astrology. It's that there's always the greatest lessons to be learned from wherever we are in the here and now, wherever we are looking at on the chart, will always be most beautifully and powerfully illuminated by looking towards and growing towards the apparent opposite because these two polar energies are always going to be expressing something that is energetically very 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 relevantly similar but it's going to be expressing that energy signature in incredibly different ways so that beautiful spiritual caretaking and um laboring kind of energy that can be so present on that Virgo Pisces polarity um, gets given this beautiful expression here that we might actually view that 12th house watery oceanic um, really sort of um, deep kind of out there energy of of Pisces and that is so boundaryless and nonverbal and disembodied a lot of the time to really see that there is something about that energy that is actually available to us in the most mundane and the most everyday realms, which is very much what the energy of the sixth house and of Virgo speaks to. It's of coming into an awareness of process, of the here and now, of the daily life things that we do, the little routines, our um, contemplative routines or our mundane physical routines or the labor and the work that we do every day, the way we brush our teeth, the way we drink water, the way we eat our meals, the way we shit, all of that is sixth house and Virgo energy. And so what we're being invited to do then to link Saturn and Uranus to actually prepare the Saturnian container of our bodies and of our earth to actually hold more and more and more of this electrical charge of Uranus energy, which brings with it revolutionary energy that we want to try and hold without letting it turn us into the exact things that we were trying to fight against. Um, we can hold some more of this beautiful genius energy, the kind of energy that generates more of itself within us and that leaves us feeling not drained, but instead completely energized that we can actually connect to and use all the gifts, talents, skills, resources that we most love to use, right? Not just the ones that we can do, but leave us feeling pretty shitty afterwards. So all of this Aquarian energy really has sort of these, these, um, these desires to be held and expressed in the body, but that the container, the Saturnian form that we have needs to be able to actually hold all of that again, without frying the motherboard of ourselves. So what we do in our daily lives, in our Virgoan and our Chironic awareness actually brings us into a um, more more preparation um, and more ability to hold and to bridge this energy of the inner planets and the outer planets of more of the personal and the collective and the transpersonal um, to be able to like take what we are currently experiencing as our limitations and blow the fuck 
out of them with that lightning strike and that new electrical charge that is surging through the circuit that can hold it, that can hold it, right? And so when I take a shit every day, um, or when I brush my teeth every day, or when I drink my water every day, or when I go to work and labor in the world every day in these external ways, or when I sweep my floor, or when I say good morning to my pets. These are all ways that I can actually shore up and strengthen the container of that satin body of this world that we are um, and the kinds of systems and structures we would build collectively as well, that they might hold more of us in our alive, activated and genius selves so that we can actually face all of the things that we need to face going forward, right? And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. I'm not going to get deep into it all, but like there is just so much that is needing this Aquarian humanitarian, more um, electrical air. So like, yeah, the kinds of ideas that are riding on air, but that are actually charged as they do so, um, which is again, something that's not always been, super um available and also we've got examples personally and collectively for when this kind of energy was taken into people and they actually struggle to hold it the energy of uranus and aquarius kind of stuff peaks for us um, with our uranus return at the age of 84 if we live that long but you know around 42 give or take a few years is usually the time when we have our uranus opposition and this is the maximum tension point of that transit of that experience of reckoning with the orbit of uranus in our lifetime and this is a time where many people have what we call midlife crises right where they begin you know to sort of have these sudden changes these really like odd decisions to buy a sports car to get free right because that's the freedom energy the freedom impulse to be free of saturnian form um, to throw off the chains, um, to get our sports card, to, you know, this is a, these are the, the tropes, but they are so because this is a time of crisis wherein we're starting to receive much of this electrical energy into our bodies and our souls, but we maybe don't have the skills, the resource, and the shoring up in that actual container, in that form, to be able to hold all of that without letting it fry the motherboard and that's kind of what happens people might have health crises they might have relationship crises they might have crises of of faith or work or whatever it is it'll depend on where the person's um, experiencing that in which house um, and what else is going on in their chart but this is definitely an energy that we can kind of look to um, the world to see examples of this. Yeah, where somebody flees, they have to get free, um, they have to quit their job suddenly, they have to make some kind of change and that there's some impulse that feels like it's charging them beyond their ordinary awareness, right? Um, 
And, and oftentimes during this time, we're doing the preparation work for our Chiron return, which can happen um, around 50-51 for a lot of people. Again, the orbit is is unusual, so it's not the same for everybody. Um, but that's the next portal that happens. And then the portal after that is the second Saturn return, which will happen 57, 58, um, 59, 60, that kind of age. So we really uh, are invited to make better use of this kind of energy. And one of the ways we can do that is by really coming into a more devotional relationship with our everyday lives and to really look at our home, um, our physical body, our routines, uh, all of the ways that we are in process every day and how can we bring the signature, the energetic signature that we want in the big picture into the littlest picture, right? So can you brush your teeth with the level of devotion um, that you want to bring to your wildest dreams being realized, right? And uh, you know, you, you can play with this, find ways that work. But for example, I will bring a, a blessing to every water that I drink, or if I have a shower, right? It's bringing devotion to this elementalness of us, right? If I light a candle every time I engage with that flame, or even when I turn the gas stove on, it's like igniting something. It's honoring and thanking that fire. It's about bringing some kind of ceremony into many of the things in our daily life that end up being chores. And how do we actually do that? Can we make our life a little bit more wonderful just by re-engaging the things that we often invisibilize and that often just kind of get treated as, um, the barriers and the impediments to our the life we want to be living. How do we actually make that hermetic commitment, which says that the little is the big, that says that as above, so below, as within, so without, as in cosmos, so in psyche, how do we actually bring ourselves into a greater connection to um, what it is that we are here to show up for in our body, in our life, um, and to be able to invest a little bit of that beautiful magic into the mundane and to the process so that every part of the process reflects the ultimate goal, right? If I'm trying to live a life that is alive and creative and wonderful and whatever, how do I bring that into the littlest, most mundane parts of my experience, right? And if that's like, how do I, I don't know, play a song while I take a shit? I don't know how it's going to look for you. But this feels like a really important energy to be bringing up. Um, I can definitely share more about Chiron in the future. But this is uh, a really great way to be tending to that everyday energy um, so that we can prepare the container and so that we can access the transcendence of the 12th house, not by blocking off from the body and the mundane daily life, but by actually using that as the eye of the needle, using that as the everyday tiny little portal through which we access our own soul, our own sacredness, our own most transcendent spiritual experience right here in the body while we're washing the dishes, right? To be able to come into that here and that now in this body in ways that 
you know, maybe we've never really been able to before, but that have, um, yeah, the quality that we're trying to bring out there in the big wide world and to our broader dreams, visions, goals, aspirations, all of that good 11th house stuff that we then um, get to experience transcendence through, um, but also that we're not alienating the body. Uh, we're allowing ourselves to come into a, a greater sense that we might be able to bend without breaking and that we might be able to hold this incredible charge of electricity that is here for us in this time without allowing it to fry us beyond all recognition. So that's something we're all working on every single day and I'm not absolutely not past that myself. So um, I'll invite you to, to, to have some awareness of this and... Um, Thank you so much for, for listening to this episode and I'm so excited to um, hopefully get some more episodes recorded as we go through and, and to find the joy in that again. Uh, have a happy new year uh, if you are celebrating this is the Lunar New Year. Uh, otherwise, have a happy new moon and um, be well as best you can. Stay safe and um, yeah, find some magic today if you can. Lots of love. <laughs>